I want to thank you so much for joining us on Take 10. We come to you every week with a topic we toss around related to mental health and mental illness. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And joining us, as always, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and an expert on addictions. And Carol, you've got a great topic for today. Well, thank you, Ron. Jamie, nice to see you. Um, I was just in a meeting and we were going around again with um, safety issues, right? We've got a Delta variant, COVID still running around, and we were talking about being safe. Uh, And all of this talk of physical safety, Jamie, uh, made me feel psychologically unsafe again. So, and I was thinking about all the caregivers out there. So, you know, um, is there a relationship between physical safety, psychological safety? What does psychological safety even mean? Is that two different things? Maybe you could enlighten us. I will, but you know, there is crossover, Carol, and I'm so glad you brought this up. Psychological safety was a, a concept that was brought together Really, finally, I mean, it's come together in many psychological ways at companies in different manners called burnout, compassion, fatigue, you know, clinical support. But psychological safety came out of Harvard by Dr. Edmondson, Dr. Amy Edmondson. And she really did it for work sites, really to create what we call higher performing teams. And to be honest, there is a lot of real crossover in her thoughts. She felt that psychological safety was a kind of a belief that you're not going to be punished or humiliated, you know, for speaking up in, in, in environments with teams so that your questions, your concerns, and your mistakes were heard. So if you're a medical assistant as opposed to a physician and you're sitting around a table, psychological safety was that you all mattered, that it was kind of a shared belief that, of a team that others are not going to embarrass or reject you or put you down. So that is what we've got psychological safety, which came from the work site. But I think there's great crossover in terms of what you're mentioning, in terms of caregivers, too, in so many ways. Well, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking strictly about caregiving situations because you've got, you have the person receiving care that might be afraid to express what's really going on with them to either their caregiver or their doctor because they're afraid they won't be able to live at home anymore. You know, you know, that's probably the best example of the crossover. You, I always leave it to you, a gerontologist who's got great empathy. Um, let's talk it from the care ease side, because I think you're a thousand percent right. So psychological safety is when, let's say, your caregiver is fairly autocratic. How about doing too much, overwhelming, controlling, um, probably trying to do everything and creating what we've often talked about here is learned helplessness. So your insight about having the, the person, the patient, the senior actually be able to feel able to speak up, that's the definition of a very unpsychologically safe environment where they, they can't speak up. The other person is overwhelmingly controlling. They're obviously out of control. They feel that only their opinion matters. And it's psychologically unsafe for that senior to say, look, I'm a real human still. I may have Alzheimer's, I may have Parkinson's, I may have Lewy body, whatever I have, I'm a real human. I need to be heard and I would like you to hear me. It's too often we don't do that, especially because they are dependent, they feel, on the caregiver. So creating a psychologically safe caregiver-carey relationship would be the optimal approach. 
Well, and then if we flip it and I think about the caregiver and let's think about the family where the caregiver is is feeling frustrated and overwhelmed and they want to tell their family members, I can't do this anymore, or I wish mother was in a nursing home, but they can't say any of these things because they're afraid that it's going to sound like they're not a good person. Or good person is right. That's a great way of looking at it. How about they're not Superman or Superwoman? Remember, we emerge out of childhood somehow with this hero child or these different kind of codependent labels. And caregivers are no different. When my work over the years with them said that codependency anonymous was a perfect place for them because it's not that they were not good because who is good? There's not real training for parenting or caregiving in this country, right? It's that they didn't want to be found out that they weren't super people, that they didn't have the the secret sauce, that the cape on their back really was not it, and that caregiving was their kryptonite. So they don't want to look sort of imperfect and like vulnerable, like a real human being. So that requires them, really them, to go get some clinical work, to get humble, to realize we're vulnerable, and yet to, as I say, take your oxygen first and grow. And if you've just joined us, let me let you know you are listening to Take 10. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerno, her co-host, and Dr. Jamie Heisman with us on the Take 10 hotline from deep in the state of Florida. I I thought when you said you wanted to flip it, Carol, you were going to talk about a situation in which uh, the caregiver feels intimidated and at risk from behaviors on the part of the care recipient. Uh, clearly, in, in some cases where Alzheimer's is developing, uh, that a care recipient can become aggressive and angry and puts that caregiver, in, at least in their own mind, if not in actuality, at risk. And Dr. Jamie, how do they deal with that? Well, there again, psychological safety would be that this person would do the necessary work, the self-care work to find out they're pretty vulnerable that, yes, they could be strong, but they also can be weak. And they can be, you know, smart, but sometimes, you know, we're, we're, not, we're ignorant. So they have to see their own vulnerability, Ron, and, and understand it. And in doing so, they have to go get the two feet on the ground, find out who they are, become number one in terms of mind, body, and soul. So their care feels safe. But when they do that, then they can approach their, their, their long distance caregivers, their family and say, look, I've done the best I could. And here's where I am at. And I need to lay this in information on you because I'm, whether it's psychologically safe or not, and sometimes it's not, they still should lay it on them and let them, the family, wrestle with what they need to do. Well, Ron, when you were talking, you reminded me um, when I lived in Florida and was working with caregivers of persons with Alzheimer's and I got the phone rang and there was a caregiver on the phone and she's whispering, I'm under the table. Um, I've, my husband has the letter opener from Spain and it looks like a sword and he's carrying it around and I'm, I'm afraid and I want you to come get the letter opener. And, you know, and she's like, don't tell him I called you. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I went over there. If I, if we weren't on the radio, I could show you the, the letter opener because she actually gave it to me and told me to take it with me, you know, cause she didn't want it in the house anymore. She was very worried because it looked like a sword. Um, and you know, after that we helped place her husband in a, in a facility. And the moral of the story is she had resisted this for so long. She, she got to a place where she was living in fear. You know, we talked about different kinds of safety and it was, she couldn't take the fear anymore. And when we put her husband in the facility, 
He loved it. He just loved being there. He thought he was back in the Navy. He said, I've been stationed. I'm on assignment. I'll write when I can. Um, And off he went. And so, you know, I'll throw that back to you, Jamie. You know, sometimes we don't deal with our fears because we think we know what's going to happen. Right. And it's going to be bad when we're just playing into that. And here's a here's an example where she didn't she was afraid to do anything. And it turned it had a really happy ending. It does. And so she projected. So when we tend not to look at our own stuff and take accountability, we project. So all of a sudden she thought it'd be a miserable train wreck, right? But at the end of the day, if you think of families, what you're describing, that they're psychologically safe, okay, then they believe that they can do what we call interpersonal risk-taking. So she can't, you know, if she gets well, feels good about herself, does risk-taking, that's fabulous because a psychologically unsafe place is one where you don't, you think somebody's going to freak out and then you kind of get intimidated by it. But a psychologically safe family that you're describing, like the one you are, really gives others the benefit of the doubt when you take the risk, realizing that their family is going to basically now expect you to speak up. And so if she kind of took care of herself and didn't project out and was able to be on two feet, bring the family in and feel safe. Yes, she would have gotten to the answer quick enough to guess what? That nursing home was the right place because he was cool. Yeah, loved it. Loved it. Spent years there and she had a very happy experience. They both, um, you know, had a great experience together that he didn't now that he didn't live in the house. That's a great way to end take 10 on a happy note. I want to thank both of you, Carol Zernil and Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us on take 10.